You know, in the garden, if you started reading through the Bible, you just get to the third chapter, and right there in the third chapter of Genesis, you see that episode between uh, the woman and the snake, the serpent. And we know him to be Satan. And uh, obviously, Adam was involved in it too. And there was that great temptation. And the temptation was basically this. God is withholding something from you. You really, you're not as happy as you could be. And God knows that. If you knew what God knew, you would really, really be happy. You'd be fulfilled. You'd have all you want. And so they believe that lie, and we're suffering the consequences of that today still. Um, the serpent, uh, Satan, has been called a liar from the beginning. He is a liar, and he has a lot of lies out there. And you know what? The thing, the thing about his lies are, it's not like, you know when some people lie to you, you go, come on, can't you even lie well? I mean, come on, it's so obvious you're lying right now. But then there's other people, when they lie, you go, I think they're telling the truth, but they're really lying to you. And, and that's the way Satan is. The way he lies, he's very subtle. He's very convincing. He, it, it's, it sounds believable. And there is one lie that he's been telling since the beginning of time, and he's still telling it today. And when I say the beginning of the time, I mean the beginning of our time because he's not eternal, an eternal creature. But here's, here's what I want you... This lie that he tells, it's subtle, and it's, but it's dangerous. And um, I, I actually used to believe it. Uh, it's a beautiful lie. It sounds right. It feels right. It seems to fit life. It's a believable lie. It makes a lot of sense. It's, it's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And it requires my participation. It's not one of those easy believe lies. It, it's one of those lies that says, you know what? You got to do your part, you know? And then it's a popular lie. Your family believes it. Your neighbors believe it. Your coworkers believe it. A lot of people believe it. What is the lie? You know, in the, in the passage we're going to look at this weekend, uh, a young man comes to Jesus and he believes this lie. And he thinks this lie is absolutely gospel truth. And so he comes to Jesus with the assumption of this lie. And Jesus basically calls him out on it. And uh, the young man that we're going to look at was, you know, it, it's described in, in a number of different gospels. But Matthew and, and Mark and uh, Luke have a, a, an account of it. And he's described in three descriptors. He's young. He's rich. And he's a ruler. Now think about that for a moment. That's, that's what every one of us wants to be, right? Every one of us wants to be younger, right? Every one of us says, hey, being rich isn't a bad thing. I can get and do what I want. And, and being a ruler, just think of it as having the ability to say no, to do what you want to do and tell other people to do what they, you want them to do. I mean, that's essentially the dream, right? Rich, young ruler. And he had it all. He was the epitome of what everyone desires. And he comes to Jesus and he asks a question. And in, within this question is the lie. So let's look at that passage. Matthew 19, verse 16. And it says someone, and we know from the other gospel accounts that he was a rich, young ruler. And you'll see uh, some of those descriptors later on. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. 
And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commands, uh, the commandments, these young men, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then you come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Here's the lie that your neighbors believe, friends, your family members believe. And, and this young man believed it's been going on for centuries. And the lie is this. I can be good enough for heaven on my own. I can do enough on my own to get to heaven. Now, he asks a really good question. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? It's a simple question. It's a common question. It's an important question. Really, it's a really very good question for him to ask. But the question, it's not just a question, it's what, what is assumed by the question? He's asking this question, but what's the underlying assumption to the question? The underlying assumption is, you can do enough. You will do enough. You could do enough to, to achieve heaven. Um, and in, in their discussion, Jesus basically says something kind of odd. He says, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good. And, 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 it, and basically, he's basically making a statement to the man that achievement of being good is not enough. It's an impossible pursuit. In other words, he's saying, you know, Jesus, I know you're good and I'm good and they're not so good. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Let's stop with this whole comparison thing. There's only one person that's good and it's God and he's ultimately good. And, and here's our problem. Here's our problem. And it's the problem the, the young man hit. If we think we're good enough for heaven, or if we think we can do enough to get to heaven, we don't need a Savior. I don't need help, right? Have you ever had a child, uh, when they get themselves into a jam, or they get, they get into you know, a situation where you realize they need help? And what do you say as a parent? You say, you need some help? And they go, no, I don't need any help. And, and you're sitting there, you're thinking, it's obvious you need help. You just haven't figured that out yet or you haven't come to the end of your rope yet but when you do you will call me and i will help you because you definitely need help here right and and so when you think you're good enough you think you got things handled you won't ask for help you'll say i don't need help and essentially what the young man was saying is you know what i'm not so bad i'm not so bad The, the, the young man came to Jesus not as a savior. He didn't, he didn't need a savior. He came to Jesus for advice. He came to Jesus to get a, a piece of wisdom. You know, that's what he came to. But Jesus is going to show this man that he's not nearly as good as he thought he was. The young man claimed that he had kept the commandments from youth. You know, in another passage, all of them from youth. And Jesus names a few. He says, I've kept them. I'm perfect. Then he asks another question. It's kind of interesting as you move in through the passage. He says, what else must I do? 
What else must I do? Jesus says, well, have you done this, this, and this? Yeah, I've done those. Well, what else should I do? And so the young man senses that there's something more he has to do. He, there's, he's missing something. So at least he figured that. It's, it's like if you could say, he's like climbing a ladder. You know, and he's climbing a ladder to God, to heaven, so to speak. And he goes, you know, I'm really kind of at the end. I'm, I'm like three rungs away from heaven. Because I kept everything. And I mean, I'm really up there. There's some people, they're halfway or they haven't even gotten on the ladder. Some people don't even know the ladder. They're clueless. But I know there's a ladder there. And I've been climbing my whole life. And I'm just about at the end, Jesus. So what is it that's going to get me up at those last two or three rungs to heaven? And, and, and that's really essentially what he's asking Jesus. He's, he's saying, what else is missing? You know, that's what happens. When we try, when we believe this lie, we think that there's enough that we can do to get to heaven. We always feel within our hearts, have we done enough? Is there more that I have to do? Is something missing here? And, 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 and that's what happens. But um, now, see, what you have to understand is we look at this young man and we're looking from our perspective and, and not really understanding the culture and all that. In that day, this young man would be seen as rocking it. I mean, he was, he was the epitome. I mean, because there are a couple of things assumed in this society. Number one, if you were rich, you had God's blessing. And he was very moral. He was a very moral man. This is the guy, the guy you would look at and say, he's a good guy. He's a moral guy. He's a just guy. He, he's righteous. He, you know, he, 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 he carries himself well. And he's rich. And you know, in the Bible, one of the themes of the Bible, it, it, it's, it assumes, it's not always true, but it assumes that if you're rich, if you're wealthy, if you have a position of leadership, God is blessing you. You must have done something right. You must be good. You must be righteous. Think of the whole book of Job. The whole book of Job starts out with Job being one of the most powerful, one of the most rich people on the planet. And God says he was one of the most righteous. And then God strips him of his wealth, strips him of his power, strips him of his family. And what it, his friends come and what's the first thing they say? What'd you do, Job? Because God obviously took this away from you because you must have done something wrong. So they saw it as a direct correlation that if you lost your wealth, or if you didn't have it in the first place, then you weren't very righteous. So here's a young man who's very righteous, who's very rich, he's powerful, and he's, he's got a complete life. So for the people around him, he was, he was a good person. He would have been seen as the upper crust of decent person in that society. And he comes to Jesus, you know, I just need to top off the tank a little bit. Now, sometimes we do this. We make the assumption about people around us, and we believe the lie. Now, I'm not saying that we throw out good behavior and you say, well, good behavior, it doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. You're missing the point if that's what you're hearing me say. What I'm saying is this. I'm saying we make an assumption that if people do the right things, that they're in the right place when they die. We think that all the time. We think, or maybe we hope that. Maybe we hope that. Maybe we hope for the lie. Maybe we don't actually believe it. If we were called to, to the carpet and said, do you really believe this? No, I don't really believe it, but I hope so. Well, no, you don't really hope so because it's either right or wrong. And, and if, if that's the case, then, 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 then the whole, whatever the Bible's saying is absolutely different. What I'm saying is this. 
We look at our neighbors, we look at our friends, we look at the people around us we really care for, and we say, well, they must be in heaven because they were a good person, they were a good neighbor, they, they were honest, they were decent, they loved their wives, they loved their, their husbands, they loved their kids. They were good people. They must be in heaven. And you hear that all the time. Have you ever gone to a wake and not heard that? I mean, when's the last time you went to a wake and somebody says, well, this guy was really a bad guy. I mean, he's a jerk. I'm glad he's dead. Hey, I'm glad you're dead. You know, I mean, seriously, you, you were a dirtbag, you know. I hope you burn, baby. You know, you, don't, you just don't do that. You just, even the worst person, you'll find something to say nice about them. I remember one time they smiled at me. Well, that's great, you know. I mean, what are we doing there? We're saying, well, they got it. There's some good in them, you know. It's almost like there, there's a scale or something. So the young man comes to Jesus and he says, you know, what else do I have to do? And in in Mark chapter 10, we don't have this in our passage, but in Mark 10 verse 20, I looked at this just quickly last weekend. It says that Jesus felt genuine love for him. I think this is such an important part of the the story for us here today. Uh, Jesus was able to look and peer right into this man's heart and soul. He saw his heart. He, in a minute, he, he, he... You know, one of the things I've learned about Jesus, and I just kinda, it just kind of dawned on me, it's, it's not anything like me, but it's like totally like Jesus. I noticed something about Jesus. He seemed like he was never in a hurry, but he always got to the point. You ever notice that? He's never in a hurry. He's like, come on, we got to go. You know, we, we, well, why are we waiting here? Why, shouldn't we be doing this? Shouldn't we be doing this? And he was never in a hurry. He was never in a hurry. But he always got to the point. You know, he, he met the woman at the well, and, and he gets a, begins a dialogue with her and says, hey, go get your husband, by the way. <laughs> what? He, he meets this religious uh, scholar, Nicodemus, and he says, you know, you ha- you're a smart guy, but you got to be born again. I mean, he cuts right through it. It's like, boom. And it's like right away, he cuts right through it. He doesn't, he, you know, he, and it, he's never, he never seems like he's in a rush, but he always gets to the point, and he does the same thing with this young man. He looked at this young man, and he felt genuine love. He looked right into his soul. He, he read him like a book. He saw something within the man, and it, it was almost like it was a spiritual cancer that he saw within this man. A spiritual cancer. The, the comfort, the security, and the notoriety of wealth. He saw this, and he saw that this wealth, this, this comfort of wealth that this young man had, this comfort of power that he had, was really a security blanket. It was something, it was cancerous in his life. He was relying on it. He was trusting it. It had a death grip on his soul. And Jesus looked at him with compassion. And he said, man, you are in bondage right now. So Jesus basically tells him, you know, the truth. And, and then the last phrase is interesting. It says, and he went away sad. And that really downplays it. The idea there is that he was just downcast. He was just, I mean, his world was absolutely destroyed at that moment. I mean, think about that. When you, let's just say you think that you have like really good health. You're in really good health. And you're just going in for a general checkup. And the, 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 your physician runs you through a battery of tests, and you're, you're expecting them to say, hey, you're doing great. Just keep doing the same things. I'll see you in a, in a year. And he goes, I got some bad news for you, man. You are a mess. 
How would you leave the office? You'd go, are you kidding me? That's the young man. But it wasn't his physical health. It was his spiritual health. And Jesus, he went away sad because Jesus called him to sell everything and to come follow him. Jesus brings the man to the impossible requirements of heaven. And he says to the man, if you want to get to heaven, you have to sell everything you have, you have to give it to the poor, and then you come and follow me. And, and Jesus showed that young man that he was deceived by his own righteousness. He quickly answers the man uh, that he is far from the righteousness of heaven, that he isn't as good as he thinks he is. The man, get this, the man claimed that he kept the commandments. The man claimed that. So Jesus basically says, okay, you say you keep the commandments. Okay, let's just do a real test right here and now. Here's the real test. Let's just do this. Let's just do the first commandment. What's the first commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, right? That's it, the first commandment. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I, Jesus, your Lord and Master, command you right now to take all of your wealth, to go and sell it, to give it to the poor, and come follow me. There's your command. Will you obey God? Will you obey me? Will you do that? And the man basically saw he couldn't even keep the first commandment. Because he loved his wealth, he loved his power, he loved the comfort and the security he brought more than he was willing to risk to give it all away and to follow God, follow Jesus. The young man is floored. All of my wealth? I can't possibly do that. You see, he had never kept the first commandment. He couldn't keep it. And someone has said that every sin is at first a violation of the first commandment. That we always violate the first commandment before we do anything else. And it came to a point when push came to shove that the young man loved his wealth more than God. And he walked away realizing all of his righteousness was merely a ruse. He realized that this ladder that he was climbing up to heaven and that he thought he was only three rungs off was against the wrong wall. He came to a dead end. The young man had heard the real message of the gospel for the first time. And it was an impossible message. Now, many people around this community and and many people across the nation this morning are hearing a message. They're hearing a gospel that says, just be good, try harder, do more, you know, think of others and all that other stuff. And that's what they're hearing. And they're saying, and do do enough, you know, and if if you do enough, then one day God's going to say, hey, you know, you got such a great resume here. I just, I just am so impressed with what you've done here. Get in here. What have you been waiting for? We've been waiting for you. And you know, what it, what it really says in Scripture is, Jesus says, many will come to me on that day and say, we did this and we did this and we did this. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. How many people do you know that believe that lie? Maybe you believed it. I believed it for many years of my life. Until one day I realized I was drowning. I had spiritual cancer. I thought I could be good enough, or at least better than others. So, 
Immediately the man sees the impossible requirements of heaven. And he says, I can't do it. And he walks away. The disciples got it too. Because they asked the question, well then, who in the world can be saved? This is like the poster child. If there was anybody that ever could do it, this guy could. And, and here he is. He's totally destroyed. The disciples now understand it. That it's, it's impossible to be good enough for heaven. They, they, they now are understanding that subtle lie. Jesus is showing them a whole new way of thinking. If the rich ruler is, is out, then who can be in? Jesus is showing them that their only hope of heaven is heaven coming to earth. Someone must be good enough for them. Someone must pay the price for them. Jesus is exposing the lie from the pit. He's saying, you'll never be good enough to achieve heaven. It'll never happen. And that's why heaven sent a rescue party of one to take our place. See, what Jesus was ultimately saying to the young man and to us this morning is this. When we trust in Jesus, we will find heaven. Now, there's a couple of lessons we can learn from this passage and we'll close it out. Number one, Christianity isn't something you add to your life. Okay? The rich young ruler thought he was a pretty, he, he was living a pretty good life, but he wondered if there was something else that he could add to his record. Um, he came to Jesus knowing that something was missing, but not sure what it was. He thought Jesus would say, okay, you know, you're, you're, you need a little adjustment here, a little fine tuning here, a little spackle here, a little paint here, but otherwise you're pretty good. You're, you're good to go. You'll make it. But Jesus showed him that Christianity isn't something you add to your life. It totally explodes your life. It destroys everything. And you start over from the ground up. Too often people see Jesus as an additive. Jesus is an additive and He's not an addition. You know, and that's one of the biggest mistakes you can make. Is You say, you walk out of here and say... You know, I think I need religion in my life. I think I need Jesus in my life. I'll add Jesus in my life. That's not the way it works. When Jesus comes into your life, He comes in as God, as Lord and Master, and He's coming in to do a total transformation. He's going to throw everything topsy-turvy. And some of you are experiencing that right now because He's making you uncomfortable with some things that are going on in your life. You know you've come to Him. You know you're going to heaven, not based upon what you've done, but you're going based upon what He's done for you on the cross. But you understand that He's doing a transformation in your life, and sometimes that's hard. Second thing is Christianity isn't something you do. He asked Jesus, well, what good thing must I do? He thought He was being good, being nice, being decent, and that was enough. And Jesus quickly smashes his accomplishments. And he's saying, you know what? There's really only one person that's ultimately good, and it isn't you, and it certainly isn't anyone in this room. You know, there's a great way to explain this, and it's just two words. Religion is all about doing. I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and churches are notorious for getting people to do things. If you do this, if you do this, if you do this, then. And religion, all religion, not just Christianity, because Christianity is big about doing. 
Religion is all about me doing and building a resume or building, uh, climbing a ladder, building a tower, whatever it is, to heaven. It's me doing enough to get to heaven. So that's, that's what religion is. True biblical Christianity is very different. It's heaven coming to earth in the, the form of a human being, Jesus Christ, who was born a baby, lived a perfect life, and gave himself on the cross. And the last three words that Jesus said was what? It is finished. Done. And so Christianity is heaven coming to earth and paying the price, taking the punishment, taking the guilt and giving us His righteousness. Jesus did it all for you. You can't save yourself. You need to be saved. You can't rescue yourself any more than when you're drowning. You can somehow reach down and save yourself. You have to see that you are spiritually drowning and you need a Savior. And unless somebody comes down and rescues you, you're dead. And that's what Jesus did when He died on the cross. And that's why He said, the last words He said is finished. The price has been paid. The debt has been paid. That's the difference between Christianity. Religion is all about doing, doing, doing. I'm going to do enough. And this is the young man. I'm going to do enough to get to heaven. Christianity believes there's nothing I can do. It's only as Jesus comes down to earth and he has done it for me. Here's the third thing. Christianity calls you away from every other pursuit. Jesus hits the young man right where it hurts in his wallet. (laughs) You know, he thought he needed a spiritual adjustment. See, he, he thought his problem was merely academic. You know, I, I just need a little more knowledge here. I just need a little more uh, information, a little more wisdom, and, and then I'll get over the top. I'll get up those last three rungs. You know, it's like getting caught in a game at a certain level and saying, I'll, you just need a little advice, and then I'll get over and I'll conquer it. You know, that, that's kind of his attitude. But Jesus knew that he was dealing with a person who had an addiction he had an addiction. And it wasn't the drugs, it wasn't alcohol or gambling. It was to, to the comforts of wealth and power. Now, people will tell you, people that are dealing with people with addictions will tell you that when you're dealing with an addict, whether it's a drug addict or a, a, you know, a alcoholic or you know, gambling or whatever addiction it is, people will tell you that you don't just give them counsel. You, when they come to you and say, I'm an addict, I can't kick it. I don't know what to do. You don't say to them, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. I just want you to ease up a bit. Right? Or slow down a little. Or pace yourself. No, 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 no. The first thing you'll say to them is you have to stop immediately. You have to turn a 180 and you have to go in the opposite direction. You have to run from that addiction. You have to go cold turkey. You have to completely do that. And Jesus basically does this for this young man. He says, you know, you rely upon this wealth and this power for comfort and security and all that you are, your prestige and everything. Here's what I want you to do. Throw it away and you come follow me. Cold turkey. It's the only way it'll work. It's the only way. It's the only way. Now, here's a question I want to ask you. What is the one thing that you have in your life right now that if you think, that you think will give you power and joy without God? See, this young man didn't really think he needed God or a Savior. He thought he had it all. And, And he basically walked away saying, I can't give up my wealth and my power. I can't do it. It's bringing me everything that I want. And, and ultimately what he's saying is, this is my God. 
This is my God. And I just want to say to you, whatever that is, when you discover whatever that is, you're going to find your master. You're going to find what's eating you alive. You're going to find the thing that is going to bring you down. Jesus is the only one that can set you free from your monster. You see, our problem isn't academic. It isn't surface. It isn't superficial It's be, or behavioral. Our problem is spiritual and it goes directly to our hearts. And that's why when Jesus looked at this young man, he saw the cancer in his life. And he said, unless this, you walk away from this, and, and I, I'm the, I can heal you from this cancer, but you have to completely walk away from your old way of life. You have to come and follow me. The man's monster was money. Now, maybe that's yours. But Jesus was telling the young man, get rid of your monster and come and follow me. Jesus said to the young man and to us, if you give me your life, you will find real treasure. When you give your treasure away, you give it all away and give it to the poor. If you do that, I'll give you real treasure. I'll give you real treasure. So what is the spiritual cancer that you have in your life that you say, I must have this more than God? That is what's going to destroy you. That is what's going to keep you from God. And by the way, that's what's going to keep you sad and discouraged and down. We, we tried to give you small steps, so let me give you a few small steps as we close. Number one, see the lie for yourself and others. What I mean by that is don't walk up to people and say, you know, you're deceived. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, but do you, have you been deceived? Are you here today? You go, I never really heard that before. I guess I always believe that good people go to heaven. Admit it. Say, that's a lie from the pit. It's very subtle. It's very nice. Number two, admit that you'll never be good enough. Don't, don't, don't add Jesus. If you, maybe you're here and you've, you've tried to add Jesus as an additive or a, as an accessory to your life. He will have none of it. If Jesus isn't the Lord of your life, He isn't part of your life. And He is going to battle you if you belong to Him for that, for that title. Allow Jesus to blow up your life and then let Him rebuild. And then number three, I want to challenge you that what is it in your life that is, is competing with Him? What is it that you've got in your life? It could be a relationship. It could be wealth. It could, I don't know what it is. The Spirit of God will show you. And I just want to challenge you. Go cold turkey and say, Jesus, I'm trusting this more than you. And I'm going to go cold turkey. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my trust. I'm going to sell it all. And get, a, get away from it. Run away from it. And I'm going to come and I'm going to follow you. What is it? Is it money? Is it status? Is it affirmation? I don't know. Admit it, name it, and run from it. And then number three, don't go away broken. You know, you can know the truth and still reject it. The young man that day, for the first time in his life, he heard the truth. He found out that his ladder was against the wrong wall. It wasn't just a few rungs away from heaven. He was going in the wrong, he was going down a dead end. And Jesus says, unless you stop going down that dead end, you're dead. That's where dead ends lead, right? And so he says, turn around and come and follow me. And if you come and follow me, you'll find life. You'll find wealth. You'll find everything you've ever wanted every, and more than you ever dreamed of. You see, Jesus always asks more of us than we would ever dream. But he also promises more than we could ever, we could ever believe. So it's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing to know the truth. And walk away sad. You don't have to walk away sad today.
turn and face Jesus and say, Jesus, this is the way it is in my life, and I give you my life. Let's stand together. Let's pray. And so, Jesus, we thank you for this young man who asked a very good question and revealed a lie. A lie that he believed and a lie that probably many of us either believe or have believed. Help us to see, Father, that we can't live apart from you. Help us to see the cancer within us. May your spirit reveal whatever that is that we're trusting in more than you. And help us to root it out and to trust you. Father, most of all, help us to not just hear the truth, but to respond to it. I pray that no one would walk away sad today because they have allowed the lie to dominate, discourage, destroy them, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.